Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers, using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like School districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice? curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone. Welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
a teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Welcome back to Special Education Advocacy with Ashley Barlow. I'm Ashley Barlow. I'm so happy you're here. Okay, we're going to round out 2023 with a podcast for those of you that have kids on 504 plans or for people that are considering 504 eligibility. The reason why I want to do this is, you know, we've really kind of tried to focus a lot on parents here at the end of 2023. And I've actually gotten a lot of questions via email and in the Circle app where if you download anything from Ashley Barlow Company, then you get in the Circle app and also DM over on Instagram about 504 plans. And so I wanted to do an episode for those of you whose children are on 504 plans, because I know, you know, kind of the gist of this, honestly, is that the advocacy is very, very similar, but I want to contextualize it just for you with 504s. We are going to take, after today's episode, two weeks off of the podcast. I don't think I've ever taken two weeks off at the end of the year. This is our third December And I remember when we very first started, Rachel said, you know, you can take some time off in December. And I was like, no, no, forge ahead. But honestly, you guys don't listen (laughs) in December. And while I don't mind putting content out in December, it seems like a good natural break for us. So we are going to take the next two weeks off. And then we are going to hop into January with some really exciting stuff. We are about to announce the date of our fourth annual special education advocacy conference. Yes, it will still have a free ticket. Yes, there will still be on-demand tickets. And we have a really exciting partnership to announce. So we're going to just kind of go full steam ahead in January. And I'm really excited to see you on the other side of the year. So Before we dive into 504s, I will wish you very happy holidays. This will be published a few days into Hanukkah. We are in the Christmas season, a couple of weeks before Christmas Eve and Christmas. And we've got New Year's and we've got all of the holidays coming up in the month of December. And so I wish you a very, very happy holiday. I know this is a very hard time of year for those of us here in in special education. And so I will tell you one little Christmas tip. Last week I referenced that podcast episode on surviving the holidays and that the Cliffsnitz version is structure, structure, structure. That was published last year. You can go over and check it out if you want. Another thing that I did that I did not know was going to be advocacy, and I'm sure that I am not the only person, I'm sure I'm not, if I did influence the school schedule, I'm sure I'm not the only person that did. But I advocated to our school district to change the Christmas break schedule 
I happened to be talking to the person that would kind of chair the committee that does the calendar probably around this time last year. And I said, hey, while I've got you, I want to tell you that the schedule that we had, you know, in 2022 into 23 was really hard for families that have little kids, kids, any kind of kid that needs structure. So kids with disabilities. Well, for those two, for those two groups. And she said, why? Well, so last year we had off an entire week before Christmas and it was bonkers. It was so hard trying to keep Jack engaged. And oh, in the third category, I know I knew there were three categories. The third category is parents that can't take an entire week off before Christmas. I think last year we had five business days off before Christmas. And so it was really hard to keep kids engaged. It was really hard to balance, you know, making some fun and some structure with also working. And the anticipation was so long because we had like six or seven days of no school. And so I said, you know, if they're in school and they're learning, especially kids that have final exams and that sort of thing, but then also those projects and activities at school, that takes up a big chunk of time, a big chunk of that anticipation, and it adds a ton of structure. And so this year, my kids do have school the week that includes Christmas Day. They go to school a few days that week, and I'm really, really happy that it worked out that way. So again, I don't think that I like unilaterally changed that, and I don't know if I influenced it at all. It could have just been the way it worked out, but I am happy. So If your school has schedules that are, you know, just like horrendously inconvenient, consider doing that. It's it it can't hurt to ask. Right. And all they can do is say no. So without further ado, I want to talk to you about things that you should know if your child is on a 504 plan. I apologize for this gravelly bit in my voice. I just cannot seem to kick this little bug that we had several weeks ago. Okay. So generally speaking, like I said, when we were working on the intro here, the things that you should know as a parent of a kid on a 504 are the same things that you should know as the parent of a kid on an IEP. What if you're the kind of parent that is on a 504 and desires an IEP or is not on a 504 and desires a 504? All the same skills, right? But we're going to contextualize this little list of skills in kind of the 504 realm. So first of all, the the general difference between an IEP and a 504, Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act is a portion of the law that prohibits public entities, including schools, from discriminating against people with disabilities. So in the context of school, what, what that means is that kids cannot be discriminated against on the basis of their disability at school. And so what they get is they get accommodations in order to make school more accept- more accessible to them. So if a child has diabetes, for example, and, you know, there's a school-wide policy that you can't have any snacks at school, well, that would keep them from being able to go to school right? Because a person with diabetes needs access to snacks in order to help them regulate their blood sugar. And so they would have an accommodation that says, but you can have snacks at school because of your 
diabetes diagnosis and the impact of that on your on your health and ability to to access school or a child with ADHD might need something to help regulate them help pay attention and so they might need something like a fidget or an AirPod, for heaven's sakes, or a break when they just got to get out of someplace. And if the school says no fidgets, no toys, nothing, or, you know, thou shalt sit in your seats. And I'll tell you what, let me tell you something about kids that need breaks. Students with, or, or schools rather, schools are, <laughs> I also should tell you, my brain is not working pretty well right now. I just said to my husband, I'll tighten my diet back up, my brain fog. So when I get really bad, if you're new around here, I have an autoimmune condition called Sjogren's. And so I get brain fog. And when my brain fog is bad, I say the wrong words or I cannot recall words. Um, and so right now, like I was trying to come up with the word bathroom, the, the phrase bathroom sink this morning. And I caught up my bedside table and then it was like my dresser. I don't know. It's like something some furniture up there and in or around my bedroom. So I'm obviously distracted and I also have pretty legit brain fog. You're going to hear me now because I I got up as a solution. I got up and I'm going to make myself a cup of coffee. Maybe that will help me if I I do two things at once. What I was going to say is actually kind of attendant to that. So students with ADHD or other behavioral diagnoses that need those breaks. And, you know, I'm talking about the kids that are misunderstood, right? So they say they need a break and then the school's like, ah, you can't have a break. And then eventually the kid like has to body check a teacher on the way out the door because they're like, I need a break. And if you're not going to let me in, if you're physically putting myself in the way of me going to the counselor's office or the office or just this hallway for a second, you're going to, you're going to, your body's going to get moved by my body, right? I'm talking about those kids. Well, schools these days, in the last two or three years, I have noticed that schools feel a lot more locked down, so to speak. So a lot of states have laws that doors have to be locked during the school day. And that's because of safety. And that's completely understandable, sad reality, but completely understandable. But I'm talking about schools where like, there are literally apps where they where teachers are checking kids in and out of schools, in and out of classrooms, and they like will shut you down. If you go in and there's too many kids in the hall, they will shut them down and say, nope, that kid's not allowed out of this classroom right now because there are 13 kids out in the whole school and that goes over our limit. Well, obviously, if you have accommodations and you're allowed to have breaks, then they should be allowed to override that system right? But like I was just in a school last week, last month actually, where I mean, I literally, I said to the principal, this feels institutional. I mean, the floors were really, really shiny and it was like echoey quiet. There wasn't a teacher talking to a kid in the hallway. There weren't teachers talking to one another in the hallway. I mean, I walked down three or four entire halls and did not see a person. So think about that for kids that need breaks. And sometimes, you know, my number one advocacy tip when I give that presentation, five traits of parents in special education, my my number one or first tip, you know, my number one tip is communicate. But my first tip in that is to go to school. I mean, I was not there 
at this particular school for a child that needs an immediate break like that, like got to get out in an emergent way. But if I was, I'd be like, wow, this is significant. And now I understand more about what this kid is saying when he or she says that the school is not letting him out to take a break, right? Because it's locked down. I mean, honestly, it kind of felt like a prison and it did not feel welcoming at all. And I kind of compared it. I was like, you know, where my kids go to school, when I go to drop off medicine or to, you know, have a meeting or whatever, pick them up because they're sick or have a doctor's appointment. Like I see, I see myself, three or four people that I think know every time I go into the school. So yeah. Okay. So the number one or the first advocacy tip I want to talk to you about, if your child's on an IEP or pardon me, a 504, see, there we go again with my brain, is to really kind of understand what the law is. Understand what those accommodations are, right? And understand the difference from an accommodation to what you would get on an IEP. In an IEP, you also get accommodation, but you get this really nice thing called specially designed instruction. It's instruction to help you meet the deficits that are present in your profile. So you might get, you know, dyslexia specific instruction, or you might get instruction in how to improve your executive functioning or your, you know, whatever the condition is. But in a 504 plan, you don't get that instruction. Rather, you just get accommodations, which can be tools or or changes in rules or devices, some kind of um, difference in the school's rules so that you can access the school environment. So know that stuff. Know what's in 504. It's really hard to advocate if you don't know the parameters around what you can ask for. So that is number one. The next ginormous tip that I have is to communicate. And I want to tell you something. This is really, really counterintuitive for kids that are on 504s in elementary school especially though in high school. And I think the reason why is because we aren't used to communicating for our kids. I mean, most kids that are on 504s have conditions that do not impact their academics or their functional learning significantly enough to qualify for an IEP. Now, a lot of you are like, yes, my kid does and they won't give me an IEP. That's not what this episode's about. But, you know, the school says that they don't have you know, that their disability does not negatively impact their academic or functional performance significantly enough for them to get an IEP. Well, then it feels weird to communicate for them, right? And it also, I've had a lot of parents say, well, why would I communicate? I mean, the teachers have the 504 plan, right? Yes. Here's the thing. Let's talk about human nature. I do not think this is sad. I do not think this is bad. But yes, they have 504 plans. When I was a teacher, I would get, I don't know, six, eight, 10, 504 plans for, you know, my high school caseload. And I would read through them. And pretty much all of them said like preferential seating and access to breaks and that kind of stuff. Because, you know, pretty much most of those kids, the majority of them have ADHD or dyslexia, dysgraphia, some other SLD. And so I'd read through them and think, okay, well, here's the kids that need to be in the front of the room. And I'm just going to have kind of like a school-wide policy that I don't care if they have fidgets or whatever they need, right? Or a classroom-wide policy. But 
you know, that's even me who was aware of trying to make school more accessible to kids. So human nature is that you cannot, cannot concentrate on all of it. You cannot commit it all to memory. You cannot do it. And so we as parents have to make our child, think about your kid right now. Think about their bad hairdo, 2023 hairdo. Think about their cute little smile. Think about what you just made them for breakfast. That kid. We have to make the teacher appreciate that kid. When I said, think about what you made them for breakfast, you smiled, didn't you? When I said their hair, you smiled, right? Because they're cute. We have to make the teachers and the administrators care about them. We have to say, I acknowledge that this is tough. They're tough. You know, they struggle so hard to read. Or, you know, maybe the situation is kids that are like, they try, they try so hard and they do so well. You know, I have a ton of kids on my caseload that have dyslexia and straight A's in like, you know, mechanical engineering or something like that. And the teachers are like, no, he does great. She does great. No problem. Those kids that mask really well or that try almost too hard and then they get ignored. We have to make the teachers smile when they think of the kid and smile that knowing smile of like, yeah, yeah, they need a little bit of extra help. So the communication is that empathy provoking kind of communication, the kind of communication that's like, this is what we need. This is what we're doing. This is where we are right? Talking weekly for most kids, maybe in elementary school, you need it, but update them on their struggles. They're in outside tutoring, or if you got an OT consult, or if you, you know, started to eat a new food, or if you had a, certainly if it's a medical condition, if you had some kind of medical event, you know, a change of medicine where everybody needs to keep an eye on it or something. Heck, My griffin has asthma that got really scary not too long ago, and I communicated that he, we changed his medication and that it might have side effects that they might need to take a look at. And he's a junior in high school with straight A's and AP classes, you know? So without being a helicopter parent, we can communicate this stuff to help these adults that have our kids for eight or nine hours a day to build into them. That's what we want. And it is human nature. It's not sad or unfortunate or bad. It is human nature that if we put our kids on their radar, that they're going to pay more attention to it, more than just reading the stapled packet that says here's a 504. Okay. It's, yes, it is on the internet now. Okay. So regular communication with teachers, administrators, school staff, all of that is super duper important. Another important piece to it is participating in the planning process, the actual development of the 504 plan, right? So this kind of goes with knowing what your rights are and knowing what, more importantly, what the child's rights are. So what I'm talking about is I'm talking about being able to share insight about your child's profile, their strengths, their weaknesses, their executive functioning, their medical diagnosis, all of those things. A lot of times when I meet with clients the first and second time and I ask them about their child's diagnosis, they really can't tell me. They really don't know. And I think to myself, you know, they're they're hiring me because they're having trouble advocating at school. And I think to myself, boy, 
if only you could describe your child's disability more thoroughly or more concisely or more efficiently or with any kind of language that the school would use, we would be in such a different place if we could do that. And so being able to to talk about your child's strengths, challenges, medical conditions, therapy information, tutoring information, that stuff can make a ginormous, ginormous difference in your advocacy. So participating in the planning process means understanding that stuff and then not only knowing that, but knowing what they need from it, right? So like, you know, my child has, um, pardon me, food sensitivities. And so this is what they might need in the cafeteria. You know, if, if uh, heaven forbid, we don't have food ready and we have to pack or we can't pack lunch and the only thing available in the cafeteria is blah, 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 then they might shut down or they might behave poorly in fifth period, right? So knowing that and anticipating that stuff is super duper helpful. Another thing that you want to do that I preach, 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 preach over here, and I want to make sure I contextualize for you in the 504 process, is keeping your binders, keeping all of those records, keeping communication, keeping the 504s, keeping progress monitoring if you have it, letters, meeting minutes or notes or conference summaries, whatever they're called in your state or your district, keeping information from outside places like the documentation of your child's disability or condition (laughs) for the first like, oh gosh, I don't know. We used to have this special ed director in my district who was extremely rigid. And for the first like three or four years that Jack was in the district, they would require documentation that he had Down syndrome. Well, I mean, I could pull like anything that says that he has Down syndrome, but I would go back and I'd pull that genetic report. Like that is the only thing that actually says that he has Down syndrome. Everybody else is just relying on that. And so I thought, if you're going to make me prove that he has Down syndrome every year, I'm giving you that geneticist's report where she drew his blood and she saw that third chromosome, their third copy of the 21st chromosome, like, take that, woman. So sometimes you do it just to be obnoxious, but she definitely made me obnoxious. But, you know, anything that you can quickly access to. It's funny. I I can see when people's insecurity arises in initial conversations with new clients, and a lot of times it's when I ask them for records. And what's funny is I guess I give off this like air that I've got it all together if it's super organized. And sometimes I have to take down my webcam and be like, hang on a second, look at my desk in my office. I, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Please do not feel embarrassed to tell me that you don't have access to these things or that you haven't kept them, that you don't have them stored. You know, at the end of the day, we can always get them from school. So if you're in that position, go ahead and ask school right now. This is your New Year's resolution. Ask school for your documentation. Ask them for at least your 504s and that sort of stuff. Okay, the last thing I'm going to say is that it's super important to teach your children how to advocate for themselves. Like I said before, most kids on 504s have disabilities that impact them significantly to the point that they need 
accommodations in school, but not to the point that they are academically or functionally, uh, that their disability is academically and functionally impacting their performance in school. And so especially as kids age, it becomes really important for them to be able to talk about their disability, to be able to talk about what they need, to be able to talk about what they're feeling, what they're experiencing, how these things impact their behavior or their performance or their social skills or any of those things. And so as your kids age, make sure that you are talking to them about what they're experiencing and what that means that they need. For me, that's super easy because I always call myself a fixer. Like I identify something that's uncomfortable or a problem and I immediately go to the solution. For a lot of people, they sit and they kind of like rue within their feelings. They think like, oh, like this is how I feel. There's also like a set of people that are just really pragmatic, like that stinks. And, it, and, and what you need to help your children understand is that there is a solution. And so teach your children about their disabilities. Teach them about their rights under the laws. Teach them how to advocate for themselves in, a, uh, in an effective and respectful way. And their advocacy is going to be different than yours because they're kids. But teach them how to advocate for themselves. That is a huge, huge advantage that you can give to them. So with that, I will wish you happy holidays, and I will tell you that I am super duper crazy excited to see you at the beginning of January, and I think we publish on the 2nd. I think January 2nd is a Tuesday, and to make some big announcements about our upcoming virtual special education and advocacy conference, I will see you then. So not next week. I will see you Tuesday in two weeks. Same time, same place. Happy holidays.